Well, let's bow once more for a word of prayer. And Father, we again just pray that as we start to look at this text that you would really help us to focus in on this, these words and this parable um, and then take a quick, bigger glance at Scripture overall to uh, see what we can figure out about forgiveness, uh, which it can be a big topic to discuss in one day, but I pray that you would give us the focus uh, to know uh, and apply it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we will be in Matthew eighteen twenty-one through 35, so you can turn there. And again, the topic is going to be forgiveness. And it can be a very large topic. There's many things that you could talk about when you talk about forgiveness. There's a lot of passages that you could turn to when you're discussing forgiveness. And today we're going to be narrowing it down a little bit to one particular aspect of forgiveness, and that is why you should forgive. Uh, That will be the main thing we're going to be learning and when I was thinking about forgiveness, it can be a very difficult topic, and it's one that we should know uh, beforehand what we're going to do before we get into the position where we have to forgive. Because uh, when you naturally get into that point where you have to forgive, there's a lot of tension, there's a lot of possibly anger, there's a lot of emotions because someone has possibly wronged you. And so the last thing you want to do at that point in time is forgive that person. Um, But it is exactly what God calls us to do as we will be learning. And so those moments can be touchy. So before we get into those moments, we need to have in our mind what God calls us to do. We need to have a great understanding of our need to forgive. And so before we start this out, I thought it would be a good exercise for us all to close our eyes and not be falling asleep. Uh, But close your eyes and you might possibly be able to think of someone that you haven't forgiven. And so be thinking and make sure, hopefully you don't, but maybe you will think of someone. And just keep that person in your mind. We'll just talk about them later. (laughs) All right, so we're going to dive right into this parable now that you have that person in your mind. Verses 21 through 22 says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. A very popular passage. You probably know this one well. Peter says, forgive seven times. And what we're going to learn from this is forgiveness is limitless. So he says seven times. And this doesn't come out of nowhere, this question. Peter was probably thinking about what Jesus was just talking about in verses 15 through 20. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take, uh, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two and three witnesses and so on. And so... Jesus was discussing kind of the how you are to forgive someone and how you're going to go about that process. And so Peter was thinking about that and he was thinking about the times that he was in or what the rabbis were saying. And he says, well, seven times. 
See, we think of this and we say, well, that's crazy. Seven times isn't that much. He wasn't really thinking this through. But uh, honestly, he was being very gracious by saying seven times. The rabbis at that point in time had discussed and they had found out that you should only forgive three times. Actually, one of the rabbis from Judah says this in 180 A.D. If a brother sins against you once, forgive him. A second time, forgive him. A third time, forgive him. But a fourth time, do not forgive him. And so that was the thought. The thought was, hey, if it's forgive three times and beyond that, they're on their own. And so Peter is really thinking, he was probably thinking about that, and he thought, well, I'll double it and add one. I'll do it seven times. That sounds like a good number. Sounds pretty gracious. Uh, And obviously, Jesus tells him, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to do seven times, not seven times, but 77 times. The 77 times, or sometimes seven times seven, as some people interpret it, um, which would be 490. Basically, regardless of how you look at it, Jesus is pointing to an unlimited number. He's basically saying, no, no, Peter, you're going to forgive, 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 forgive. Just keep forgiving. Limitless. And this isn't anything, um, this isn't the only passage in Scripture. If you go to Luke 17, 3 through 4, you'll see another very similar passage. And it says this, we'll start in verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And so Jesus deals with this topic multiple times. And here again, he points to seven, basically saying it's unlimited. No matter how many times he turns to you in a day, you must forgive him that many times. And just take note that he says you must forgive him. Uh, It's a command to do. And when you're thinking about this, I was thinking about Romans. uh, Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20 says this. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. I'm talking about grace. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Basically saying that God's grace was higher than our sin, right? Grace abounds. And when you're thinking about forgiveness, it should be the same way. When someone sins against you, your forgiveness should be that much greater than their sin. And so the more they sin, the more you forgive. Never letting their sin surpass your forgiveness. And so the more they sin, the more you forgive them. And we just have to take special note that in those passages, either one, in Luke or Matthew, there's no limits on um, or categorization of the sins. Um, Jesus doesn't say, well, if this person sins against you, forgive him. But if this person sins against you, don't do it. It doesn't specify time of day. definitely doesn't specify a number, right? He points to a limitless. He doesn't specify the kinds of sin. If they do this sin, don't forgive them. If they do this sin, forgive them. Uh, He basically, it's a blanket statement. Look, if someone comes to you and they sin and they repent, then you must forgive them. 
But the question is, what if someone who has deeply wronged you, very deeply, and they do this continually, right? Do you still forgive them? Um, it's one of those things that it's easy to say, you must forgive, but it's a whole nother thing to follow through with it. But that is what this parable talks about. See, it's a story of forgiveness. And we need to remember who he is talking to. That is Jesus. Right? Then Peter came up and said to him. So he's responding to Peter. That's his audience. That's who he's talking to. Peter and the disciples. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Okay? So obviously that portion is talking about Peter. But then the parable is a tack on to that. It's a continuation of that thought. And so he's still talking to Peter within the parable, right? Therefore, so it's connecting it, what was just talking about to what is here. And then, and so he's going to be talking to believers within this parable. And there's a lot of discussion on this, there's a lot of different views on this parable. Um, some people think that he's talking to someone who thinks they're a believer, then they don't become a believer. Someone, some say that it's not talking about believers at all, just unbelievers. Um, I would say that it is talking about believers. And I would say that because it says, therefore, again, he's talking to Peter. He says, the kingdom of heaven. So that's your topic. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. There's a king in verse 23 who wants to settle his accounts with his servants. God being pictured as the king, the servants would be us. You could keep going on to verse 32. It says, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you of all the debt. The debt we will see is the debt of sin. So he has forgiven him of all the debt. Little on in verse 33, it says, I had mercy on you. We'll discuss that. And then at the end of verse 35, he says, My father will do to every one of you, again, who's his initial audience that he's talking to? It was Peter. If you do not forgive your brother, right? We call ourselves brothers and sisters in Christ. And so here he is discussing and talking about forgiveness among believers mainly. This, that's, so the first point is the forgiveness is limitless. And then he moves on to forgiveness in perspective. And this is the parable. Let's read verses 23 um, through 27. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. And so the parable kicks off. And we see grace releases debt. You, the premise is simple. You have this king and there's a servant who owned 10,000 talents. And this is a very large 
number. It's actually the largest numerical term in Greek. And so Jesus was basically pointing to an endless number. Um, It is the biggest number that they could think of. People kind of talk about what the number would be in today's terms, and it doesn't really matter, but someone did the math and it ended up being like $3 trillion or something like that. And so Jesus is just saying, look, there's this ridiculous, unlimited uh, debt that this man has, has uh, to the king. Uh, the word is actually myriad, it's literally 10,000, but it's where we get the English word myriad. And so there's just this huge, unsurmountable debt that this man is in. And for us, it represents the debt that we all face. Um, this is the debt of sin. And I was thinking about it, and Romans 7 uh, is a good way to illustrate this. Romans 7, 13. If I could turn there, that would be great. Romans seven thirteen it says, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure, right? That is, through the law, we see that we are sinful beyond measure. And that's what it's pointing to here, right? The 10,000 talents. To them, they're like, wow, that number is, right, infinitely big because it was the biggest number they could think of. And that is us. We are sinful beyond measure as this man was in his debt and he was beyond measure, And so, when you're thinking about this, it might be simple to think of this initially as final judgment, right? There's this king, and there's this guy who owes 10,000 talents, and he has to pay due on his debt. Um, But it's actually not the case. This isn't referring to that. This is referring to really the moment of salvation, um, partly because... After this, he goes and he talks to another servant, right? His life isn't over. He continues on in his life. When you're thinking about this parable briefly, we need to remember this is a parable about forgiveness, right? The premise of it, verses 21 through 22, is forgiveness. And he says, therefore, and he's continuing that discussion on forgiveness. So that is the focus of this parable. And so he is, the king decides that he's going to sell everything that the guy has, his wife, his children, and all that he had. And this is to make the payment. And this is the just payment for what the guy has gotten himself into. It actually wouldn't even come close to paying uh, for the amount of debt that he had. Um, This is exactly what he deserved to have happen to him because of his debt Um, in relatable terms. Because of our sin, uh, what we deserve is hell as much as that. So, the man falls on his knees and he implores him, imploring him, have patience with me. And so he sees his need for forgiveness And he 
bows himself to the authority of the king, right? He was a sinner. He needed mercy. He needed patience. And so he has the right attitude, but he has the wrong understanding. He says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. This was an unpayable debt. You say, well, that doesn't really sound like a believer, but in some ways it does. Often we think about it and we come to know Christ, which is amazing. We think, oh, I need to turn over a new leaf. I need to change my ways um, and all those kind of things. So he has that similar idea. I need to get my life right, is what we would say. But he says, I will pay you everything. So, right attitude, wrong understanding. And the master then forgives him of that debt. And that's important to remember. Um, It's not that he will forgive him, that he possibly forgive him under certain conditions. It's that he forgave him of the debt. Uh, And at this point in time, it would be mind-blowing to the disciples listening that the guy would own 10,000 talents and it would just be forgiven. Um, And we would even say that's a lot if we had even a trillion dollars of debt and someone just forgave it. Uh, And yet that just pairs in comparison to the debt that we have already been forgiven if you're a believer in Christ Jesus. So, this great act of mercy is followed with wickedness despite that grace. Verse 28, let's read 28 through 31. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When the fellow servants saw what what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And so we see this. Great release of debt for this man, this act of mercy, of forgiveness. And he goes immediately. Uh, this, But when that same servant went out, it's implying that he went and he was forgiven and then directly went and he started choking this guy asking for his money back. And you say, well, that seems strange if he was a new believer, if he's been just forgiven. And that is kind of the point. It is strange. It is weird that he would be forgiven such a great debt. It is no way you would ever expect a believer to act, to be forgiven so much, and then yet not forgive. It's astonishing. It's contrary to what his nature should be. Uh, We're saved from sin, and yet, uh, if I could go inside your mind for... An hour, a day, I bet I could point to a sin in your life. I don't want to do that. (laughs) Um, So he begins to choke him. That may seem strange, but actually in Roman times, that was um, par for the chorus. That was a fairly common thing to do. It at least was an unusual thing to do. But the debt here is significant. 
we can't ignore the fact, which many people do, commentators at least, ignore the fact that he did owe him a hundred denarii. That is, there was a debt. There was, in our terms, some sort of forgiveness that needed to be had because he was wronged in some way or another. And so we need to remember that, that a hundred denarii is about one-third year's wage um, for a person. A denarii was about a, a day's wage. And so that is significant, but it just pales in comparison to what he has already been forgiven. So, similar scenario to the first servant, except for the second servant, doesn't show mercy, doesn't show grace, he doesn't show forgiveness, and he puts them in prison. And when you're in prison, you're just there. There's no way to make money. Because uh, you're in prison, what else are you going to do? So the chance of him paying back even this small amount is next to none. Now, if you could reset the parable, if you will, and not include verses 24 through 27, and without that contrasting 10,000 talents that he was forgiven, and you reread verses 28 uh, through 29... You would probably think, so? <laughs> uh, you might say the man owes and he should pay his debts, right? That is something we should do. We should pay our debtors and maybe he deserves to be put in jail because maybe he's been sitting on this debt for so long that he's been procrastinating and he should have paid it and so he's kind of just getting what he deserves. Maybe the choking's a little out of hand, but ultimately um, the man put himself in that position, if we didn't have the 10,000 talents to contrast it. It's only because we know he was just forgiven that 10,000 that we say, how could he not forgive the 100 denarii? It's that contrast that makes this such a stark parable, that makes it so shocking. The shocking isn't necessarily just his actions, those though those are shocking. It's his actions in light of what has already happened to him. That is, he has been forgiven. Then you get to verse 31. Uh, and we see, when his fellow servants, this would be fellow believers, saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. When we see sinful behavior among believers, when we see unforgiveness among believers, that is the reaction we should have. We should be greatly distressed by it. Now, this distrust is grieved or sad um, to the point of distress. And so it should just grieve us to our core to see that happening. And we get to nearing the end of this parable... In verses 32 through 34, it says, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should, you, uh, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So he says... A wicked servant. See, he should have immediately 
forgiven as he had been forgiven. And the same applies with us when we don't forgive. Just as we have been forgiven, therefore we should forgive. Let's go to Ephesians real quick. Ephesians 4.32. I want you to turn there because it's one of those things where it's important to mentally see it in your Bible. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That is exactly what this parable is trying to relate to us. You have been forgiven that 10,000 talents. Therefore, you must forgive, right? As God has forgiven you, therefore, you forgive. Um, how, no matter how wrong you feel, whether it's 100 denarii, 200 denarii, no matter how bad it is, it pales in comparison to the 10,000 talents you have been forgiven. So that is the point. I had mercy on you. Again, it's not that he needed mercy or that he was going to have mercy. The point is that he had already had mercy applied. He had already been forgiven. Therefore, he should have had mercy and forgiveness on others, right? He had it, and therefore he should have given it. And his punishment is the master delivered him to the jailers. The jailers is literally the torturers, Um, That is the word. Torturer is a better uh, rendition of that. It's the stresses. It's the hardship. It's the pressures, the difficulties in our life due to that sin of unforgiveness in our life. And he should do this until he pays all the debt. Uh, That is until he has a change in heart and forgives. Now we subliminally look at this, and this is why this parable has caused so much Um, I don't want to say so much contention, but there's a lot of different thoughts on this parable because of those words uh, that he should do it till he pays all his debt. But we shouldn't subliminally put in that forever. Um, It's a punishment until he realizes his error and changes his ways. Uh, Again, the parable is discussing forgiveness, not necessarily salvation. And so the focus is on the forgiving aspect. This leads us to our final portion of the parable, forgiveness from the heart. We see this in verse 35. And I like what Boyce says about this. He says, Jesus' final disturbing words. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's a warning. Do not be that wicked, unforgiving servant because God disciplines. Again, this isn't losing salvation. This is the chastisement, the discipline of the Lord. I mean, God's discipline on his wicked servants shouldn't be something we are just learning at this point in time. It shouldn't be too much of a surprise to us. We see it in Hebrews. We'll turn there real quick. Hebrews 12 when it quotes um, Proverbs three eleven and 12, it says this, uh, And you have forgotten 
And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And so this is when, again, we are wicked, like that wicked servant and unforgiving, the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves. And you can read the rest of this. Um, It is, uh, verse 7, it is, For discipline that you have to endure, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father and the Spirit and live? And I love this, for for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, as it seems best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. See, he he disciplines us from the point of holiness from the eternal, omnipotent, omniscient Father who always does it for our good. And through that, we become, or we don't become heirs, but it shows us that we are his sons because he disciplines the ones whom he loves. He disciplines his son like a father disciplines his son. And so... uh, this shouldn't surprise us too much. And we see examples of this in Scripture as well. Ananias and Sapphira, so you know, if you've heard me for a little while, you know I love that account. Um, and sinful Christians in 1 Corinthians 11.30, uh, there's sinful Christians and they get sick and some of them even died due to their sin because they took the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner. And so... We shouldn't be too surprised um, to hear that God disciplines even this sinful servant who had been forgiven so much. When you think about unforgiveness, it can cause a lot of things in our life. Bitterness, uh, anger, and resentment, uh, and so on and so forth. And it's like a pot of boiling water. It starts low and it just keeps boiling and boiling until it's boiling over. And so... Uh, it's good for us to get rid of that. It only will cause more sin in our life if we hold on to an unforgiving heart. Instead, we need to, as he says, forgive from the heart. This is a supernatural, right? Because of what we have have been given, we can therefore forgive. I read this interesting illustration about holding a grudge. and says, One day a visitor leaned on an old fence around a farm. While he watched the old farmer plowing with a mule, after a while the visitor said, I don't like to tell you how to run your business, but you could save yourself a lot of work by saying gee and ha to the mule instead of just tugging on those lines. The old farmer pulled the big, a big handkerchief from his pocket and wiped his face, then said, Reckon you're right, but this animal kicked me five years ago and I ain't spoken to him since. That's a funny illustration, but it's what we do in our own life, right? We make our life more difficult by holding on to that unforgiveness. And it only creates more and more sin. 
And there's another perspective that we need to think about when we're thinking about being forgiving, is that we need to be forgiven at some point in our life. I imagine all of you at some point will need to ask forgiveness from another Christian, except for me, of course. But uh, I'm just kidding. All of us, uh, all of us at some point are going to say and do something that is offensive, that is hurtful, um, that we possibly didn't mean, hopefully. Um, And at that point in time, we're going to need to ask for forgiveness. And we're probably going to want more than just seven opportunities to do that. We're going to hope that the person sees the 10,000 talents in light of your sin and ask for forgiveness. See, Christians need to be marked. They should be marked by forgiveness. Jesus cries on the cross, Father, forgive them. Stephen's last words were, do not hold this against them as he was being stoned to death. Joseph forgiving his brothers after he was sold and all the difficulties he went through. That should be our heart. That should be our attitude. And that should be our nature because we have been forgiven. And in summation, since we have been forgiven that 10,000 talents of sin, should you not forgive? Now, I had you think about a person at the beginning of this. Um, when we started, and now you need to picture that person again um, if you have someone in mind um, because you need to think about how much you have been forgiven and think about how that person has wronged you and realize, yes, I know it's not insignificant. I'm sure they did possibly hurt you deeply, and I'm sure it cut to your heart, but it hurt Christ a lot more on the cross than it will hurt you to forgive that person. It will actually heal you. And so in light of what you have been forgiven, you should need to forgive. The last passage I want to turn to is Colossians. For our final thought. It's going to be in Colossians 3.13. We'll start in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen holy ones, uh, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Again, does that sound like an option to you? It's a command. As the Lord has forgiven you, just underline that must. So you also must forgive. Again, as believers, we should be marked as forgiving people. As our Savior and our Christ was forgiving. Our forgiveness ought to be in proportion we should think about it as to the amount we have been given. And the amount we have been given, forgiven, is limitless. And so, therefore, our forgiveness should be as well. So, in conclusion, we should be marked by a limitless, forgiving nature, forgiving from our heart, because we have the right perspective of the grace and the forgiveness that has already been applied to us. 
Uh, and with that, let's close with the word of prayer. And Father, we thank you that we got to take a deep look at this text, um, this parable, um, to see how the necessity uh, for us to forgive, the importance of it, um, but the reason that we should forgive. Um, it's always a difficult task. It can be troublesome. It can be hard um, to forgive those who have wronged us, who have done things to us, said things to us. But I pray that as we go through this life and as we have been wrong, that we remember those 10,000 talents, that we remember the debt that you paid on the cross. Um, and through that, we would remember that we must forgive and that we would seek to do so. We just thank you and praise you uh, for this text, for giving us the wisdom and insight um, to know it. In Jesus' name, amen.